And then in the intervening year and a half, the Swedish postal regulator, or whatever they, their old school name for their communications yeah, PTS regulator, or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, just went uh, post-traumatic Sweden syndrome or something. <laughs> they, they, I, I don't know. They just went, uh, they just went, she went, no, we'll have no Chinese vendors in our network. <laughs> Sorry, Sweden. I, I couldn't resist. Um, and uh, how's that as a Swedish accent? It's pretty good. I like it. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. This can be our last one for quite a while. Pierre's off to lurk in France for a month and do <clears> fuck <throat> all like the rest of France does in August. <laughs> yeah. It's true though, isn't it? Well, I mean, I say fuck all, obviously have a laugh and like go for walks and have barbecues and just generally live your life. Mm. I don't certainly mean it in a negative or judgmental way. No. Um, and uh, this time next week, I will be on my way to Suffolk to hang out in a cottage for a bit with the family. Are you what are you gonna have you got any holiday stuff going on? Um supposedly. Supposedly. Slovakia. From next from next Friday. Are same same just, day as you basically. So the supposedly but, bit is depends on whether the, they shift the goalposts on Yeah, I mean I think we're gonna try and go stuff. anyway, but I'm I'm slightly worried about running into issues at at, at stopping off points on the yeah. way. Because it's not a straight it flight. Looks, it just looks complicated. Right. You're not you're not you actually have to, supposed you to, go have to go to, to, to Prague and then hop across or something like that. You do. Well, we actually booked flights to Eastern Czech Republic, a place called Bruno. Okay. Um, only because Magda, my wife, wanted to spend a few days there and then go to Slovakia. And, and actually, you can't go into the Czech Republic and spend time there. You have to go into quarantine. But you oh. can use it for transit. So if you go, if right. you arrive if you go and go and straight out, to then... Slovakia, then you can. You can't fly into Slovakia from the UK at the moment. Um, if you're from the UK, if you're if a UK passport holder, rather, but you can cross a land border from the Czech Republic. But we didn't plan it that so way. So how just far is Bruno from where your wife's family oh, live? A couple hundred miles, oh, three, three or four hundred maybe. It's yeah, it's a bit. It's a, it's quite a nice train journey though. We've done it on the train before. It's quite good fun. Don't mind. I okay. quite like so trains anyway. If, so, in, in but, summary, a lot, a few of your. Um, Arrangements are still up in the air. Yeah, well, of course we have to get all the tests done, like you did the process yeah, you went through like when you went Canaries, to the Canary Islands. The the all year. of that, and then coming back, we have to get tests. Ugh. You know, that's that whatever it is, second day arriving back tests and all that crap. And so much for freedom day, eh? More <laughs> yeah. on that later. I mean, I, I, you know, we can't do anything about what the Europeans do, I suppose. No, but you know, we. Well, can that's one thing. I, that's here. one thing I, I have to explain to people. People going, well, you know, you'll get a vaccine passport to get to Spain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Spain's call. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to have a vaccine. But we, but we, you know, if we didn't, I suppose if we didn't do the, you know, the the second day test, we'd have all these people up in arms about, oh, you're still letting people in who are bringing in new variants and all that rubbish. So, yeah, which which could go on for years until someone says, hang on a minute, you know, maybe it's We're time. We're just going to gonna have to live with this. Yeah, because there could always be a new variant, couldn't there? Well, indeed. We're going to so, run out of Greek letters. Yeah, we're going to have a whinge about this later as well, aren't we? Yeah, we are. So yeah, let's let's but, keep our powder dry on that one. Um... And what else is there? We were just out again at the refinery, getting a bit of a tan, having a cheeky pint beforehand. Yeah, it's gonna be a last nice day for a little while, apparently. Um, so no one warned me of that until I checked the weather forecast today. Right, supposed to be having a barbecue tomorrow. Are you? (laughs) My parents. It's gonna piss it down. This is really cooking indoors. You're gonna have that classic English barbecue with an umbrella. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, so that's all good. 
what else have we got to chat about? Pierre, you were talking about um, places yes. that are listening to us this month. Who's uh, City of the Month, yeah, which is... Uh, Drumroll? No. Drumroll. It's uh, Bath, uh, England. Bath. And a uh, close second is Kearney, New Jersey. Kearney, how's I'm, that I'm more surprised by uh, Bath. K-E-A-R-N-Y. Right. Yeah. right, sounds like a surname. Irish surname, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. New Jersey and Bath. Well, I've got one more to add to the mix. We got an email from a guy. I don't want to reveal his name. <laughs> I'm going to call him Diego because he's Argentine and my middle name's Diego because I was born in Chile. Uh, but you know who you are, Diego. Um, and and he goes, uh, he just goes, I really like the pod. And I just, I just thought it's cool that it was just. It's the amazing thing about the internet. You know, you just got. You got Argentines listen to us. Yep. English presumably isn't his first language, um, and he's enjoying it. He, he, and he's a proper, you know, he, he says he works as a RAN analyst. And you know, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to say which um, Argentine telco he works for because I don't want to give his identity away. But you know, he gave me some, sent me an email full of quite technical stuff that, quite frankly, <laughs> not all of it I fully understood, revealing the fact that I'm a dilettante. <laughs> I've never, I've never claimed to be otherwise, though, in my no, defence. No. Um, and and just saying he's a bit frustrated. Uh, he's talking about open round a fair bit, and he just feels that in Argentina, the the regulators are being a bit shit about opening certain things up, spectrum technologies, all that sort of thing. You know, and I don't want to, I don't want to slag off Argentina in general. It doesn't surprise me that much yeah. to hear that some of their state institutions aren't the most helpful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's great. It's great to get in touch. Um, you had some, you had some guy get in touch I on did. LinkedIn, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it was in a, it was a public uh, forum actually. It wasn't oh, okay. a private message, so he could be named. Um, get the details off. He works for uh, Systems Integrator called Worldwide Technology. Yeah, WWT. yeah, I've done that. I knew them before. Yeah, I, I did. I did some work with them on Telecoms.com um, not too long ago. Yeah, he's called Paul Rhodes. Okay, and uh, he's like, um, he's he's. he's his job title is Open RAN and 5G Principal Consultant for... So uh, we're getting a fair bit of Open RAN traffic. GSP International, which, I'm, which is then a part of Worldwide Technology. Okay. So, But he, he, was, he said he really liked the pod and then again made some quite technical points about radio. So I, I, I kind of did get it and you would as well, actually. He was talking about the costs because we I think we'd spent one time talking about BT and right. difficulty of rolling out 5G and why it's taking a long time. Okay. And he said that one thing we didn't consider was apparently... It's an interesting point to make. If you rolling out when they were rolling out 4G in 2012, a lot of it was sort of low-level stuff and quite easy to and, and, and you know sort of easier equipment to install. Okay. Whereas they're now using these 20 meter high poles to get these 50 kilogram boxes, like these massive MIMO right. boxes. It's just a lot more. It's quite hard absolutely. work. You know, it's not just the cost. I think it's shutting down streets to do it. This is why we talked about weight before, haven't we? Weight of equipment and. Yeah, that issue seems to be getting resolved, so maybe that'll speed it up a bit. But so I mean, yeah, what, what, I, what I take away from just anecdotal things like that is, and we've had you know we've had some people flag this up internally, is us chatting about moderately technical stuff, but in words of one syllable. Yeah. And I I I think that's kind of what pods are all about. Is nearly all pods I listen to, they get into the weeds. Even if it's someone like Joe Rogan, who has got a wide range of different things he talks about, each conversation he has, he does get in the weeds, but it doesn't feel inaccessible. Yeah, you know, even if he's got someone like Eric Weinstein on, who starts talking about sort of higher maths or, 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 or theoretical physics, Joe Rogan sooner or later will go, "Well, hold on a sec, mate. I don't know what the fuck you're going on about here, mate. You're going to have to dial it down a little bit." Um, and yeah. hopefully, that's what we do. 
Maybe I'm Joe Rogan to your Eric Weinstein. I don't, well, you know, I think you're flattering <laughs> me there. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Well, let's let's crack on with it. Um, what are we going to chat about? So we're we're going to start by talking. There was a story. I think I wrote it before you. You did um, about <clears throat> China Mobile awarding. It, it's had another sort of tender for its 5G work and it does it per sort of spectrum um, and so the last lot it did was 2.6 um, mega- gigahertz Yeah, this which, is part of the phase one last year 5G That's right uh, yeah. and and anyway, I, I, won't, I won't get into it now but this time it was 700 megahertz and and basically th- there were some different vendors given different stuff and, and there's a story in that Yeah. Um, then we're going to talk about uh, we're gonna, broadly we're going to talk about dumb pipes which is a, a very venerable topic within telecoms. And we've certainly spoken about it plenty of times on this pod, which is, um, you know, are operators merely utilities? Are they dumb pipes like a water company is a dumb pipe? Yeah. Or do they add some kind of intrinsic value? Do they have some kind of augmented, extra special relationship with their customers other than just providing this data pipe? Um, uh, and we're going to talk about that. You did an interview with Vion, and, and I think there's one or two stories I can throw into the mix on that. And then we're going to finish, given this is our last one. So this is the last one you can hear from us readers, listeners, audience, whatever I call you <laughs> collectively. Last one you can hear from us for at least, I think, three weeks. Um, so try and cope. Go and have a summer holiday. That might help. A bit of time on the beach might help with the withdrawal symptoms from the telecoms.com podcast. Um, so we thought we'd just be self-indulgent and get on some bugbears. There's some these, you know, these do these have some reflection on tech slash telecomsy stuff, but it's mainly just you and me yeah. just deciding to have a rant at the end. Yeah, it is. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. So this. Um, oh yeah, Pierre's just pointing at me. Um, and just to remind you that if you're watching this on the website, you can listen to it on SoundCloud, Appleness and all that you um, did that really well that but I know I keep forgetting I've lost my confidence after he corrected me last week what about, and, what about Bribe of the Week and if you listen to it oh yeah that's a good point and if you listen to it you can watch it as well anyway just, look, just google telecom.com you, you, you can podcast. listen to it or watch Jesus it Jesus Christ have I got to do all the work for you somewhere Scan online Bribe of the Week I forgot about Bribe of the Week because I was not the recipient of Bribe of the Week but you were I was, so tell yeah. us about it well I, I was an unexpected bribe I, I, I got a uh, sort of a after the after the fact had happened, really, because a box turned up yesterday with a bottle of wine in it, some Spanish ham, a bit of cheese, Ooh. some olives. Was it Manchego? It was Manchego. <laughs> that still cracks me up, that, that podcast when you kept trying to force bits of Manchego into my face while I was trying to talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, courtesy of Orange. Orange? Yeah. He, he would normally have obviously plied. So what are they me doing with, with the sort of Hamon Serrano and the Manchego? Why are they getting all Spanish on it? Well, they 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 would normally they were saying there's a nice letter in it from the PR people at Orange who I know quite well, um, and they're, they're very nice. They've uh, got quite a lot of Emmas, I seem to remember. It's Emma, Vanessa, Nicole, and and oh, um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, but Nicole. they or maybe Nicole's. I'm thinking of. But they but they, but they sent. Um, they send this. I mean, normally I think they they're expecting people to go over there and meet them there. Obviously, and there'd be a mm. bit of a bit of hospitality. She was saying, bit of schmoozing. So, 
Um, this is a God, sort of sub- that, substitute for that. You know, they, they couldn't do their normal meal out when they take people out. And, and this was you chatting to. Well, um, I did. Yeah, it followed an interview that a few journalists did with um, their CTO a few weeks ago, actually, um, about. That was a good news story, actually. It was the whole sort of twin network thing they're doing in this, this French town. Oh, um, yeah. You know, taking advantage of artificial intelligence and open round and all that all the sort of anything you can anything you can think of that's the state town of the is, art. is now sentient yeah, yeah. Laniel is the town I know yeah. it's, it's in Brittany yeah it's yeah, now, yeah it's now called Skynet <laughs> exactly or um, Le Skynet so they so presumably um, they you sent a few of these boxes around, but it's very, very nice anyway. Thank you, Orange. I didn't, cool. say, I didn't, I didn't, res- I didn't send an email yet. So, um, and you, you didn't get much of a look it. at the wine, did you? No, that didn't last very long. Yeah, my wife's <laughs> off on holiday, so she'd already <laughs> she's, stuck she, in at she, lunchtime. <laughs> fair play to her. Nice one, Magda. Not that you probably watch the podcast, but fair play to you. Um, mm. cool. She watches a promo sometimes, so Pierre decides to put that in the promo. Right. In okay. Trouble. Yeah, I'll probably. But yeah. Especially if she said if she's well into a bottle of wine at a time, she'll be like, hey! <laughs> anyway, it doesn't seem like a very Magda gesture, if I'm honest. No. Um, okay, cool. Uh, yes, this, uh, I can do that. I've done, we've done all our bits and bobs, haven't we? Yeah. Um, Should we go home now? I <laughs> know. <laughs> about 15 minutes of bits and bobs now. Um, so, yes, a uh, year or so ago, probably more like two years, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So China Mobile is the biggest uh, Chinese mobile operator by quite a long way, isn't it? Um, yeah. But then there's two other big ones, which is China Telecom and China Unicom. They're all pretty big. They're but, all pretty big, yeah. but China Mobile is like an order of magnitude bigger, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's got like a zillion subscribers by itself. Yeah, 900 million. It's certainly ridiculous. by far the biggest operator in the world by yeah. subscriber number, isn't it? Um, and um, a couple of years ago, let's say, they had this 2.6 gigahertz, which is like mid-band 5G um, allocation. Only last year. It was only last yeah, year. Yeah. Okay. Early last year. Early quite last early. Year. Sort of February, March time. Year and I think. Yeah. I cut me in three. Yeah. Um, and they, uh, the news about it was sort of twofold. You, you expect in China for Chinese vendors to get most of it. Yeah. And yes, that's not ideal, but everyone's a little bit protectionist. So we're not going to get too moralistic about it. But they still gave Ericsson about 12% share of of their work and then the rest going may lead to Huawei and ZTE yeah. and Nokia got fuck all yeah. and that was a story as well because this is a time when Nokia was admitting to sort of falling a bit short on 5G and then in the intervening year and a half the Swedish postal regulator or whatever they, their old school name for their communications yeah, regulator or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, just went uh, post-traumatic Sweden syndrome or something <laughs> They, they, I don't know. They just went. Uh, they just went. She went. No, we'll have no Chinese vendors in our network. <laughs> Sorry, Sweden. I, I couldn't resist. Um, and uh, how was that as a Swedish accent? It's pretty good. I like it. Okay. I'm like I'm trying to think. Was this more German or yeah, sort of Central European type of thing? Yeah. Um, and yeah, they kicked them out. And other people have done that. The UK has done it. Um, other countries have done it, but I think other countries have done a bit of, bit of a better job of fudging it. Like mm. we initially went, oh, we'll let them in a bit, 
and then afterwards went, oh, maybe not. And the EU on the whole has gone, we'll have a look, we'll do a security review, and they just keep kicking the, keep kicking the can down the road. Yeah, well, they made one company a big target, didn't they? That's the problem. I mean, I, I, I suspect the Chinese, the Chinese have been grumbling about what the UK's done as well. Listen to the ambassador, and I haven't looked into the details of, of things that the Chinese has, have, have done to other bits of the UK. No Ferrero Rocher from well, their it- ambassador. <laughs> I don't know. That's an old commercial. <laughs> I said, because I don't want to be Xenophobic and do a Chinese accent, I'll do a Cockney accent. No fucking Roche for you, son. Um, but the, because I don't pay that much attention to things outside telecom in detail, I don't really know whether there's se- sectors of the British economy that have taken a bit of a hit from China as a result of, of right. what's happened. Right, like retaliatory. Are, yeah, and they've definitely been retaliatory to the US for a long time now with things that they've done. Not that um, much, though. Well, there's only so much they can do. Well, that's they the could, thing. they could, they could do things like ban Apple. They could. That's true. Yeah, so they, they could. could they, they could have been a lot more retaliatory. But than I they think have. banning Apple would hurt them as much as it would hurt well, the US. That's, that's always the problem. That's always they the, have to find something they yeah. can do that hurts that hurts the US without. So they've done. I mean, they've been doing currency manipulation for years, which hurts which hurts the US arguably indirectly. But they, yeah, they, well, they've, they've done things on. They've they've imposed a lot of tariffs on US goods. It's just that the balance of trade is not. It's not the same flow, is it? It always it's feels not. a bit superficial. You get this tit for tat, yeah. and everyone goes, "Oh, well done." Yeah. So there's, there's, you know, there's, there's kind of less they can do, but they've definitely done things. But yeah. the problem with the Swedish decision is that they've got this. There was a direct way of countering it in a very well, exactly. So, way so that's got- so that was the that was the story. Um, to uh, to go on to my coverage of it, so there was just this one announcement from China Mobile, and it's all in Chinese. But Google Translate, fair play to it. I mean, I wouldn't ask. I, I get credit Chinese. for doing it, to be, to be honest, because I looked at your story and then I looked at the original, the thing you linked to, and I thought, oh my god, where did he get that from? How, how yeah. the hell did he put that together from that statement? So it was largely so, Google Translate, but it also turns out that numbers. I wondered if you put way on it. No, all. no, not but, at all. It was it's because it was a combination of Google Translate and the fact that numbers seem to be global. Yeah, yeah. So you've yeah. got all these, and I, I stress, I absolutely love Chinese, Japanese, Korean, whatever, those characters. Yeah. Those sort of almost hieroglyphs they have. I think they're amazing to look at. I think they're so artistic. Oh, I had a great time doing it then. Um, but, but somehow Google's clever algorithm, and we'll slag off Google and we'll plenty times in the future, has a way of turning those hieroglyphs into English. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Which is yeah. pretty amazing. Um, in fact, let's click through. I've got it auto-translating, so I won't see it for long. But, you know, it's obviously utter gibberish, but then with numbers every now and then. Right. Yeah, there it is. Look at that. It, transla- it translates it within a second. Um, and so the numbers were there. And, uh, and what they did was they, um, they announced <clears throat> they had three sort of lots. Uh, and they announced that in like lot one, for example, there are about 190,000 base stations. And then they announced, announced the percentage that each vendor got. So in lot one, there were 190,061 base stations, of which Huawei got 61.12%, ZTE 28.77%, and Nokia 10.11%, which the Nokia bit's obviously a major part of this story, which I kind of sort of given away too early, but there we go. Um, and so line. I just put it into a spreadsheet and just did 
total times percentage equals the amount of base stations they got. Because what they didn't do is give us totals, grand totals, yeah. for all three of these lots that they did. And so then I was able to add up those totals and then work out the percentages. So how and many base stations is it altogether? Can't altogether, 48,000 and, and change. 480,000? Yeah. For, yeah. That's, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> um, 480,397. Um, yeah, well, that's, quite be precise. that's quite a lot of base it's stations. That's quite a lot of base stations. Yeah. Um, of which Huawei got 288,000 odd, ZTE got about 150,000, Nokia got about 20k, Datang, which is a Chinese state open owned thing, got about 15k, and Ericsson got less than 10k. Um, so there's two aspects to this story, and then I'll stop banging on and, and get you to give us your perspective. Two aspects to this story. One, well, one is the uh, the change in non-Chinese vendors. So there's a lower proportion on the whole, only 6%. And then Nokia was back in the game and not just back in the game, but got twice as much as Ericsson. And do you remember, in fact, I think you put it in the trailer here for the pod we did last week where I was doing my Xi Jinping mm. sounding like Ray Winston thing. And he's going, he's going, how about we stick your fucking neighbours in and give them a little bit more? And that's basically what it, what they did. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Nokia didn't deserve it. We, we've said plenty of times they've raised their game in the intervening time. Mm. But it does feel like a diss that Ericsson went down from 12% to 2%, and in the same time, Nokia got twice as much, 4%. Yeah. Um, so that's one part of the story. And then the other part of the story is just the round percentages. When you add them all up, which they didn't publicise in this China mobile thing, but me doing my little bit of spreadsheetery. <laughs> there were there were clear percentages. It was like sixty point zero percent to Huawei, thirty one point zero to ZTE, uh, four to Nokia, three to Datang, and two to Ericsson. And so the biggest thing that says to me is the whole thing was engineered. There's nothing competitive about it. No. It was preordained. It's predetermined. This is how it was going to go. And I think yeah, I mean, in a market where ninety percent of the work goes to you two local firms, then. It's pretty obvious what's going on anyway, isn't it? But um, Yeah, but it, it, it's when it's blatant, because everyone's playing these little games, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Everyone's accusing each other of bad faith when everyone's operating yeah. in bad faith. Yeah. Yeah, we call out the Americans all the time. We call out the Brits, and I'm going to later over things like censorship. Um, all politicians take the piss all the time. Yeah. But there's sort of deniability. But the, the argument on the trade side of things about... I mean, that, I think that's a valid point that for years Europe's allowed Huawei to come in. I mean, Huawei was the biggest 4G vendor in Europe, yeah? Possibly still is, even after all the pushback. Yeah. I don't really know, but it certainly was. There was certainly no state ago. predetermination no, of how much they no, could have. No, they were the biggest, they were definitely the biggest vendor in the UK, massively. You know, two thirds of the BT network, they were providing to Vodafone. They were, you know, they did a deal with three eventually. They, they were, you know, and massive in Germany. I mean, they still are. So mm. they were. There was no, there was no, we're not going to allow it. It's only really when in. the Yanks started pressuring. It, yeah, us it was very, very recent. So the argument that, you know, which I know people like John Strand, for instance, a consultant, uh, mm -hmm. a consultant with Strand Consultants, always said, well, you know, why should we allow Huawei to compete in Europe? It's a sort of tit for tat thing, I guess. Why should we allow yeah. Huawei to compete in Europe when European vendors have stood no chance in China? They've only ever had 10% of the market, you know, basically. Yeah. Um, well, that's and, and, it, and it's true. They, they, it's clearly skewed to not allow um, foreign companies to come in. And they're not that different, actually, from 
I mean, the Indians are like this, aren't they? In, in, India is very much like this now, made in India. And, and, right. and foreign investors have always had a hard time in the telecom market in India. They weren't allowed yeah. to actually own a big stake in... You had to have a local partner to do it. Yes. And then look how cra- look how badly they've been treated over the last few years. I, I did a story that's a bit of a tangent, but I did a story on Telenor this week about all of its... Right. Which we talked about recently anyway, all of its foreign sort of misadventures, the latest one being Myanmar. But, but no, they, that's right. they, I think they I saw lost. the headline and you, they're still... Plugging yeah. away in certain places. Well, they were asked on the earnings call about, you know, do we need to assess, you know, Asian stuff differently now? Isn't it become a bit risky? Because the guy who asked the questions, an analyst from Jefferies, saying, you know, India didn't work out for you, Myanmar's not worked out for you, you know, brought up all these basic yeah. examples. And I looked at the Indian case because people forget, you know, that a lot of the focus has been on Vodafone and all its problems in India. But Telenor had a terrible time in India. You know, they, they sold went out and, about a couple They of went years in ago, and bought they? all these licenses, bought a stake in this business, lost money for years. I mean, they racked up about three billion in losses, I think, US dollars, wow. and then eventually had to had to just basically exit and sell it to Bharti Airtel because it just became they were they were bogged down in legal cases with the Indians about not you know because the indians wanted to cancel their licenses on the grounds that they were awarded ir- irregularly but also they wanted payment for them anyway oh my you know? god yeah so we're gonna cancel them but get you to shell out yeah i mean I this mean, is a total tangent well, the, 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 but no but i think Chinese i don't think stuff, it, but but i think there's a broader theme here which is protectionism mm. so it's in keeping with that and you know it's sad that india which we like to think of in that part of the world is in some ways a sort of bit of a bulwark at least sort of culturally against China because it's it's ostensibly a democracy. Yeah. But increasingly, you know, and I'm not going to get, I don't know enough about it to get into it, but, you know, Modi seems to have some distinct favourites in terms of cultural and geographical oh, parts totally. of India. Oh, totally, yeah. Um, and... Uh, I mean, no one bats an eyelid about this stuff nowadays because it's all gone that way. Everybody's like that now. It's all protectionist. And it's, and it's, and it's all, back to the back to the sort it, of balkanisation narrative, isn't it? I mean, the other thing I'd say about you know the um, the China thing, getting back onto the topic of the China thing, is we 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 did kind of. We Call can slap it. ourselves on the back a little bit. I mean, Ericsson <laughs> had warned about this, hadn't it, in its yeah. earnings, only a few days before, actually. It knew yeah, and obviously Boyer Econ had been shitting himself since yeah, the Yeah, and their the share price went down something like 9% that day. So it was, it, you know, I don't think there was a, a knock-on on the day that the mm. annou- of the announcement, because it had already sort of happened, because investors saw it coming. They'd gone down from, what was it, like you say, 11 or 12% last year mm. with phase one to 2%. 2%. Which is Bang a big on. drop off in, in business, and and you can already see this happening in the second quarter revenues they they report from China is massively down, like sixty percent. Meanwhile, down. Nokia's come out and gone. Actually, this and, is looking all right. And Nokia, and this will help. Yeah, and we say, and I've I've been writing for quite a while, I think now, about the possibility. Nineteen thousand base stations will help, won't they? Ex- ex- and this is the thing people forget: is like four percent doesn't sound very much. You think four percent? Well, that's not going to make any difference, is it? It's a market where this particular project is four hundred eighty thousand base stations. You know, four percent is a big deal. And this is why, this is why those the share prices move so much when China does stuff because it it, it is a big deal to the revenues. It does account for. Yeah. It's, it's by not, far the biggest market in the world. It's the biggest market in the world, and it and it's not like they're heavily reliant on it. I think Ericsson last year made about 8% of its sales from China. Hmm. But it's still a big country. And if you can get any kind well, of share at all... I mean, if, if 8% you, if you of your from, revenue suddenly go away, that will affect your share price. It'll affect your share price. And if you're going, certainly if you're going... So Nokia basically quit. I mean, it wasn't just China Mobile they lost out with. They didn't get anything with Unicom or, or Telecom either when yeah. it comes to RAN work, 5G RAN work. So if they can go from zero to 4%, 
this year it's it's a it's it's huge you know it's and and i think their share price actually you know it's a bit hard to tell because this week's a bit been a bit of a weird one for share prices hasn't it because they've all been the markets have been down a lot because of the coronavirus worries so, yeah, and inflation worries and inflation worries and stuff but they but they, they certainly seem to be on a bit of a an upwards curve i think nokia at the moment well there was i, I, I have to hasten i don't own shares in nokia because i keep talking up nokia at the moment yes yeah. Well, I admit that I do. I I mean, there's some people... God, I was listening to a podcast. I think a lot of American websites, and you you ostensibly do write for an American website, insist... I think it was... I was listening to Barry Weiss, and she's saying when people join New York Times, they've got to sell all their shares, just full stop. Um, We don't have that kind of conversation, but I've always been open. I've got like a a tenner in Nokia and 20 quid in Exxon. If anyone thinks I'm going to go out of my way (laughs) to... (laughs) To influence the market to make my tenor into 11 quid, <laughs> then they, they must think I'm skinter than I am. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I largely keep those holdings just because then every now and then when I have a look at my sad little portfolio, I get a reminder of where they're going. Yeah. Like I've got a tiny bit of Vodafone. Yeah. And I was just interested to see whether that went up or down today because they had some earnings that were No, you'd, slightly... you'd have to bring it up if you owned like 10 grand's worth well, of quite. stock. But yeah quite um, i mean jesus christ anyway so uh, my conscience is clear but you know i think they i think they get a bit more uptight about that sort of thing in the states and they'll be like well you, it's still conflict of interest yeah it's like, all right i think the the other thing is why um in a way it's maybe a surprise that ericsson's hung on to anything at all i mean if the chinese had wanted to be really cruel well, I've they could have about that well I, I speculated i mean my thought is that they that they can sort of make themselves out to not be shutting out the West completely, can't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on a minute, we haven't actually gone. We haven't done what you did in the That's UK exactly and completely what, banned exactly it. I and I also it. think that it gives them something to hold back in. It's like you've got some ammunition still. So they, you know, they can sort of... And they can keep playing this much, so silly can... game of like, oh, you kick us out, but we don't kick you out. Yeah, and I think the the one other reason possibly is maybe a little bit of a sop to the operators themselves, because even though they state controlled, the executives at those companies aren't interested in all this stuff. They just want they want comp- competition and they want an op- an option for suppliers. But what they want seems irrelevant. You know? I mean, these these clear round percentages show that the CEOs, the CEO of China Mobile, as far as I can tell has very little say in it. Maybe there's yeah, some negotiation yeah. behind the scenes where... Well, he might be you know, grumbling about where it. Where Xi Jinping was like, I want those Muppets out. <laughs> um, and he goes, he goes, oh, I tell you what, how about I give them a few little percent? And, and anyway, there's, but it was clearly predetermined. There was no competitive tender. Yeah. It, was, it, wasn't, it clearly wasn't on the strength of the bids or the competence of the companies. It was clearly just a one column in a spreadsheet job is we're giving... 60% to Huawei, 30% ZTE, do what the fuck you want but it, with the but rest. It, it shows, actually, also that, you know, we're talking about there's limited things China can do to hurt other countries without, you know, they don't want to ban iPhone sales in China because it's kind of not good for them either. But yeah. The, the fact that they've gone for so long not allowing Western vendors to have a very big share of the market means there's only so much they can do it's to like, hurt oh, them. Shock I mean, horror. You know, 8% is not good to lose that. But the nice thing for Ericsson at the moment is that business in other markets is is booming, basically. You know, they've just, just won this massive Verizon contract worth about $8 billion. They've, you know, you look at their sales in Europe at the moment, they're going up a lot. Deloro, the, the forecast they tend to rely on, which is pretty reliable anyway, I think. For market sizing. For market especially. sizing. He's very optimistic about growth in other markets this year, sort of bounce back from coronavirus, investment in 5G. They're actually still in it, and they're very profitable now. They're quite a lean organisation compared to where they were two or three years yeah, ago. Yeah, because well, they laid off so a bunch they're of not, people. This China stuff will hurt them a bit, but they're it's not like... They're looking to hire like, a Swede, there's probably a lot of them about. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. This this China pushback will hurt them, but it won't hurt them as much as, you know, the the, the um, Europeans kind of punishing Huawei. You know, that's no, and a much it's also it's issue. also a one-time trick. Yeah. So China's got to be careful because they go right. We're banning Ericsson because we're pissed off with Sweden, um, and at some stage it's going to come to a head with not with Finland and possibly and uh, Chinese yeah. vendors. I mean, they can't kick the can down the road indefinitely, can they? Um, I don't know. Is, is Finland fully part of the EU? I can't mm, remember. I don't know. It might be a um, Norway deal, you know. Because Sweden's always, famously always a bit Switzerland and a bit sort of does its own thing. It's got thing. its own currency, obviously, hasn't it? It's still so got a kroner. Has it, what's Finland? Finland uses Finland the euro. So it must Finland's be, it must be EU, part of it then. Yeah. So, so, so Finland's shielded, but at some stage the EU is probably going to have to make a call one way or the other, isn't it? The uh, Americans will certainly yeah. put pressure on them. Anyway. Well, the, the EU likes sitting on the fence and, and hedging things. Yeah, yeah, it, totally. But at some stage, and, and they'll probably do a good job of, even if they do tip into largely banning Chinese vendors of just sort of sugaring the pill. Yeah. But at some stage, then, you know, then China can start banning Nokia, can start banning BMWs, can start banning fucking Swiss chocolate, whatever. Yeah. Um, but they can only do it once. Yeah. The, the, one of the interesting things to me is, you know, that the obviously the Chinese vendors have got a bigger share than they had in phase one, haven't they? You said that if you add up Nokia's and... and um, yeah, 94%. 94%. Yeah, exactly. It's only 6% with European vendors now, whereas last year with 11 yeah. uh, or 12 so or whatever. So they've halved it, let's say. You know, and, and I think that the, this is the other, the other thing that we didn't mention with this is that Huawei's in a pretty bad situation and they're trying to do in a way this isn't surprising that they've given more work to the Chinese regardless of what's going on on, on, on you know with Sweden banning Chinese vendors or any of that because they just want to protect that company to some extent and, and on and that alone getting, I, I've got total sympathy for them uh, exactly yeah, because they, the Americans have acted unilaterally yeah so, the, so they, they, there's, there's a lot of markets now where Huawei can't operate the way that it used to do and it needs someone to kind of shore it up and this is probably the best way to do it and the other interesting thing is you know you talked about the 700 megahertz aspect last year it was 2.6 gigahertz and this is me speculating a bit here but i did talk to some chip analysts you know it's the stuff you need that massive mimo stuff that was going into cities last year you know they're kind of really sophisticated advanced stuff Mm -hmm. that's you know that's where you need access to these state-of-the-art chips arguably um, that you're getting from companies like, you know, TSMC, okay. and you've got very limited options for where to get some of this stuff from. I think, arguably, the, the 700 megahertz, where you're using it in rural areas and it's lower spectrum and it's not, you, you're not, you're not kind you're of rolling out. Mimo, you're not doing beam forming, it's a bit easier maybe for them to supply. You know, it's, yeah, you it's, might be on something there. But I, but I do wonder um, with Huawei, the, the big question still, which has not really been. You know, even with all the updates they came out with a few months ago at their annual report, and we can see how badly things are going for them on the phone front. And the networks business has been fairly stable, I think, hasn't it? You know, it's not gone down as much as I think Certainly people the last time expecting. they offered any numbers. Yeah, yeah, they still seem to be they still seem to be managing on stockpiles of equipment that they built up. You know, over a period of time when I think they first became aware of what the US US was trying to do. And the question to me is, how long is this going to last? You know, there's going to come a point where they just can't really, com- you know, th- and this this for me is a fascinating thing about someone like Germany, for instance, where Deutsche Telekom is very heavily reliant on Huawei for its 5G network. Um, its other supplies, Ericsson, but I think Huawei is two thirds of the network. Right. If, if they lose access to these, you know, cutting edge chips and they have to start using, you know, 10 nanometer or 14 nanometer stuff or whatever instead of five or seven you know i talked to people at ericsson about this and they said there would be an impact on the performance of equipment 
they weren't talking about this in the context of Huawei, by the way, Ericsson, when I spoke to them about it. They were just saying, yeah, if we had to go down Full to stop. these. So what, Deutsche Telekom, by locking itself into this relationship, regardless of what's going on in on the geopolitical front, it's 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 going to face a point where it can't get updates to, or it can't roll out Huawei equipment, surely, that is as good as it used to be. There's going to become, yeah. a, there's going to become a, a sort of performance knock-on. Well, and, um, the, and the great, you know, back to sort of protectionism and geopolitics, the great game... Yeah, you see it all the time. And I don't want to over-demonise China, certainly not as a country, or even as a regime. Because, you know, there must be... I can't believe that everything Xi Jinping does is just, you know, malevolent, sort of moustache-twirling emperor out of Star Wars level of malevolence. You know, he, he's, he's a, he behaves like a strong man. He's got enormous resources at his disposal. He's marshalling Chinese nationalism, but plenty of other countries marshal nationalism. Um, I think he's probably a fairly sinister sort personally. I think he probably is. I'm just think, trying to. I'm just trying to be. I'm just trying to be balanced about it because in. it's so easy to view him as a caricature because I don't know much about it. No, and I, but I don't know much about Putin either, and I'm, I'm fairly sure that he's a sinister sort <laughs> as well. Pretty sure that. And, um, I'm pretty sure I'm not getting Russia either. Um, <laughs> I just, I just think people in that position. Every podcast ask, we do, I'm running out of fucking places to go. <laughs> I can't get to Myanmar Spain. anymore. I better not slag off Spain week. on the podcast. Spain's great. Um, I think I described Myanmar's rulers as uniform killers this week in a story. Right, so I well, there we can't go. Get so there either, short, basically, it's lines of longitude. Once you get past about Slovakia, just yeah. don't go any further east than Slovakia, mate. Well, and you're probably you're probably walking on thin ice either. there. Um, but uh, yes, so you know, while I don't want to just give a caricature because it's so easy to do it's like he's the baddie and we're the goodies yeah. it's such a sort of binary infantile way of looking at things um, and, and and obviously you can also get into the who started it like you know America started unilaterally hassling Huawei but they'll say it's because of this that happened before yeah. and you know it, it becomes very difficult to, to find who started it but what, what is obvious is from where we are now these things seem destined to keep escalating yeah so so China fairly unsubtly freezes out Ericsson, bar a token 2%. So maybe Sweden doesn't do anything back, but that goes into the EU ledger or the US ledger, and they go, right, well, we're going to be even bigger dicks to Huawei next time we get the chance. And then backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And you can just see it's escalating and escalating. And, and these sorts of things have happened throughout history. Normally what happens is it gets reset after a war. Yeah. But we've got a bit too good at war. So we can't, we're not really allowed to have them anymore. We can have proxy wars. You know, we can sort of fund some Central Americans to sort of get it on. Yeah. But um, we can't really have a proper war. And so it's just hard to see. And then we've had the pandemic, which, which is the closest thing to a sort of global catastrophe yeah. that we've had possibly in my lifetime, possibly since the Second World War. But it hasn't really done anything as far as resetting all this stuff goes. Well, I think, it's, it? I think it's made... I think a lot of things that have happened in the last it. couple of years have, have, have come out of the... Out of, out of that situation, actually. I think a lot of, a lot of politics... Yeah. A lot of politics have actually come out of that. Well, and, now we're wondering about the origins of the coronavirus. And yeah, that goes yeah I, think it's, I think it's made the, 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 the geopolitics more sort of... You know, it's brought it to the fore even more mm. than, it, than it already was, I think. I think there were... Yeah, it's not done anything for relations between the US and no. China, has it? But I mean, I, I think things will just go to being, like you say, it's hard to see a resolution to it. I don't think there will be necessarily no. a resolution. I think we're going to go back to a world that's a little bit more like we were in Cold Christ, War. 
Well, maybe even before that, you know, back in the days when there wasn't global trade, you used to have okay. a smaller number of trade partners and, you know, you didn't really have anything to do with parts of Asia, perhaps. And I mean, God, that's a really long time ago. But I Yeah, and I think probably this balkanisation will continue until we reach such a point, let's say, when 6G comes along. Yeah. Where you've got two competing standards. Yeah. And everyone goes, this is just bollocks. We've got to sort this out. And then sometime, like about 2035 or something. Yeah, maybe. People yeah. go, all right that was that was fun we tried we tried two separate standards that's not working let's let's yeah and, and i think it depends on the politics decades it, to fucking it depends on out. the politics that happen doesn't it because i think you know the, the 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 move towards a 5g standard a global 5g standard that we had you know look at what was going on in china at the time and it was the era when they were looking a little bit more open and you know a, yes. little, a little bit more oh if we, the, there was this very much the impression strategy. if we bring them into the economy then we'll yeah. they'll they'll get used to democracy and they'll become democratic and and that clearly yeah. hasn't worked they've just become right. more authoritarian than ever and hong kong and Xinjiang yeah and and, and, and and now they have technologies that allow them to to monitor people and mm. i mean i'm i'm not optimistic about the chances of a a repeat kind of you know uprising like you had at Tiananmen Square where people actually decide to try and do something no. about it and they're too good democracy. at democracy they, they just don't in mean, Hong Kong they're I too mean, good at monitoring Hong Kong had some it. good uprisings about a year or two ago Hong Kong's very different from the rest of China though anyway I think so but even there my point is yeah, even exactly. there even there hasn't come to anything it's kind so, of been squashed so we could end up with a situation in the 2030s where China actually looks worse than ever it's just really tightly controlled and it's more like something out yeah. of 1984 but then we get back to how the novel, we were I mean, not the around year. the Tiananmen Square time where we think isn't it all awful and we wring our hands but we basically go it's over there yeah. it's their problem I mean how you know I wasn't I wasn't old well, enough to remember have, it or, or comment on it, but during the Cultural Revolution time where literally millions of Chinese people were dying yeah. in famines and, and all this great leap forward, crazy shit that Mao got up to, yeah. um, the West just sort of went, well, it's kind of their, their business, isn't it? They, yeah, they did, but you could argue that there's things going on there now that you know the, yeah, yeah. the West should, like uh, from a moral sense, intervene in, but they'll never do it because how yeah. can we? How can be, we possibly be do military. it? Yeah, how could we possibly do that? No, we just don't up? have the power to do it anymore. So, All right, I'd, um, I'd better yeah. move it on because we've got two more segments to do in about half an hour. Um, I'm just going to sign off with, I quite often do like my final paragraph. Uh, and when I wrote about this, I said, um, this is kind of recapping what I said, but I'm going to read it out anyway. The neatly rounded total percentages indicate there was nothing competitive about this process and that the awards were dictated by a Chinese state. So, in effect, China is largely banning non-Chinese vendors, the inverse of what it's punishing Sweden for, and otherwise it's doing the same. Yeah. It's just saying you started it. Yeah, uh, can, can I say one thing as yeah, well? Yeah, sure. The, the China Unicom and Telecom stuff's not out yet. No, so but, that's the, but Ericsson said a statement Ericsson saying, said don't get your hopes it's probably going to get the same share in <laughs> yeah. those deals as well. So, But it'd be interesting to see when they do come out. We're probably what fucked the, with them. What's, but um, it'd be interesting to see if there's a, a, a role for Nokia in those deals, I was going to say. Well, it could well be. You know, um, and, and I said, and so then I finish off by saying that the main difference, apart from the token 6% of foreign vendors, is that the state's intervention was overt in Sweden, i.e. the PTS going there out. Yeah. But it, as ever, it's covert in China. Yeah. Um, and then I had to finish off by saying, because I'll give China the benefit of doubt, but then my final sentence was, and then it wonders why some people don't trust its companies, which I think is fair enough. We've always said that there's not enough public evidence against Huawei. On the flip side, when China will do these unilateral things, to some extent you can't blame people for going, well, then yeah. I'm going to tar all Chinese companies with the same brush. Yeah. Okay. Um, dumb pipes. So yeah. dumb pipes, as I said at the start, is, you know, are, are operators offering any value other than just the raw 
data pipe. And you had the thing that's prompted this segment is a an interview you did with a an operator group called Vion. So I'll hand yeah. it straight over to you. Why don't you tell us about? Yeah, that? well, I, I spoke with uh, the CEO actually. Um, oh right, nice one. Yeah, a uh, guy called Khan Terziolu. Did, he, did he send you he, any bribes after? He didn't send me any bribes. Oh dear no. Vion. No, he wouldn't do that. No. Uh, well, they they're Russian owned, aren't they? Well, Send us they're a not, fucking caviar. Yeah, okay. So ah. Vion, the, the main the main person behind them, actually. They are quite a, a controversial group in a way, I think, because of the ownership structure of it. They're, I mean, I don't know if you remember for years, they used, there used to be clashes between Telenor and um, an Alpha Group, or Altimo was the sort of telecom arm of Alpha Group, with the two big shareholders in Vimplecom. That's it. Yeah, with and the they used to... Red and black, yellow and black... Yeah, Vimplecom like is basically the. I mean, it's still the Russian branding is still Vimplecom, but Vimplecom was renamed Vion, the international. Uh, group, okay, but, but so kept I was right with the Russian with stuff. Russia. But the person behind um, Alpha Group is is um, Mikhail Friedman. He's one of the Russian oligarchs. So right. he's so he's his reputation is pretty much like a lot of the other oligarchs. They're quite sort of you know he- they're heavy hitters and yeah, they're, they're, sort of they don't take they don't stand for any nonsense and they can be quite well, I don't know if I, I wouldn't go that far I wouldn't say that but it, but um, no some people might we wouldn't yeah but they but they have a reputation of being quite aggressive I think you know in dealings and um, they go after people kind of thing and yeah, if they so, have shareholder so, clashes no, so nothing and, like a mafia then I'll take it all back I, I don't mean go after people by shooting them. I, know, I just I mean they, they sort of... So um, I'll stop they, interrupting. They, they were quite... Um, you know, Telenor had a really uncomfortable relationship with them for years uh, and ended up basically selling its stake in Vion eventually, I think, in 2019. So they, they do have this this background that's, you know, that's... Um, a, a little, a little, a little shifty, I suppose you could say. But I, I, I didn't talk to him about any of that. I mean, he's come in there... Yeah, the biggest operation they have is Russia. They're like the number three operator there. It used to be number two. Have kind of lost their way a little bit, I think. Um, but they, they're just a really odd-looking company. Really I mean, they've, they're formed from mergers of with. There was a company called Arascom, if you remember, yeah. years ago. Yeah, they've yeah, been a hard one to sort of pin down. Very, very, they're a bit of a Frankenstein's monster, I think, yeah. of, a, of a telecom operator. They've got businesses in Pakistan, Bangladesh. Uh, North Africa, Russia. I mean, they're very much an emerging markets operator, but. What gets lost in all of this is that they're absolutely huge in terms of subscribers. They're 213 million. So wow. I think if you look at rankings of operator, we've just been talking about China Mobile being the biggest. They're kind of top 10. They're up there in the top 10 in terms of biggest operator groups in the world in terms of customer numbers. Yeah, well, people, I mean, people underestimate the population of places like Pakistan and Bangladesh. They've got a shitload of people. Yeah, like exactly. hundreds of millions exactly. of people. And they've got yeah. something like 70 million customers in Pakistan. Yeah. So, you know, we don't, I don't write about emerging markets maybe as much as I should do. And that's one of the reasons I think Vion's interesting is because it has this massive presence in some of these big Asian markets. And that's kind of what makes them interesting. And the, now, the guy I talked to, Khan Teziolu, who's Turkish, used to work for Turkcell. He used to be CEO of Turkcell. And I met him a couple of years ago at Mobile World Congress. And the interesting thing about him is he's got a really good, like Turkcell's one of those operators that is one of the few operators that other other operators regard quite highly. Yeah, as having they're really a innovative, job aren't they? Of doing innovative stuff and position themselves quite well and as a funny, kind of challenger I mean, again, to it, internet companies. It seems like you know? such a generalisation, um, but you wouldn't necessarily, you'd expect maybe a Western European operator to be more innovative than you, you uh, would. Central Asian so, one. So I remember but being at, sales, a, pretty innovative. At, at a do in Mobile World Congress last time it was on, 2019, last time it was on in a big way, 
uh, and going out to one of the, the press events there. And there was a, the CEO of a Western European operator talking about challenges in the industry. And actually, I can't say who it was because it's all off the record, but mentioned Turkcell as one of the few yeah. examples of a company that actually... No, they come up a lot. Been a, ...become a sort of, I hate the expression, to be honest, but they've been a digital operator, you know, kind of done a good job. They come up a lot in the, tele- in the Glowtel Awards, our awards. Thing, right. Because uh, I, I, I have to sift through the all the entries. Yeah, they, so I think when when Vion went to to you know to replace it to get to get a new CEO kind of thing, it wanted somebody. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's well, some time to, server from well, Vodafone. The thing is, it's really struggled <laughs> with its strategy to do that because it's obviously tried to not be a dumb pipe. You know, it had this strategy of developing this app um, that would allow you to you know enjoy a lot of over the top style services, and 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 they were basically trying to position themselves as a competitor to some of the big internet companies I, I guess with this app and it really failed badly it was okay. it was under a guy called um, Jean-Yves Charlier and I don't know who he works for now but he, he basically left 2018 tw- 2017 right. 2018 I, I forget exactly under a bit of a, a cloud you know the, the share price had gone down and this whole so this is their big digital transformation this, play this transformation which very much involved it was very very centralized so the idea was that we they set up they had a, they have the headquarters in Amsterdam probably partly for tax reasons some people would say or gang reasons because they don't have an operation there and they also had a big london that's office that's where they're going wrong they're all too stoned when they're making decisions maybe that maybe that is what it is because everyone in amsterdam <laughs> is stoned all the time that's just a fact <laughs> but they but they were developing this this um this technology platform this this single app basically which is going to be rolled out to all the vion operations so whether you're whether you're in right. bangladesh or pakistan or and russia you could just rebadge it or yeah you could just localize i don't even it. know if they were going to rebadge it it was almost going to be all done okay. on the vion brand and it was the same app they wanted to develop for all these markets and it was be- being developed from london and amsterdam basically and and everything else is very centralized as well on a technology front you know like they had this sort of common oss bss platform they were trying to do a lot across a lot of markets and and it and which makes sense when you're a big when you're sort of telecoms group yeah, then you're well, going to get economies of scale. Well, and all that this sort is, of so this is the thing. I guess you get economies of scale. You know, you can you know have one tech team doing everything and then and then roll it out. And hey, look, the the big US companies have one platform, don't they? That they provide over the world, and it works very well for them. But it it just didn't work for Vion. It just went really badly wrong. Right. This app never really took off. Um, and, and they blew a lot of cash on it. And they blew a lot of cash on it. And then they they had this sort of interim period where this woman called Ursula Burns, who's an American executive, used to be well, CEO of Xerox. I remember writing up her. She used yeah, to be head Xerox. of Xerox, yeah. She came in and has basically looked after the company while they've been, while they tried to sort out a lot of the mess that it's was a great name created. Ursula. There should be more Ursulas around. Yeah, and they sold they, they sold a few operations and they, you know, and they they, they basically just almost just sort of kept things going but one of the things she started to do was sort of decentralize things a bit so they've now gone from this you know having everything done in amsterdam and and london to totally changing uh, tack and um basically they don't even have a cto anymore by the way they don't even have a group cto so every every single operating company is in charge of its own initiatives so they've, know, gone, they have, they're totally they've gone autonomous. Full-on centralised to full-on full decentralised. Full de- and, and a lot of it's now being driven by this guy they've brought in, who's obviously got a very good reputation having worked for Turkcell, one of the few operators that has made a good stab at being a digital operator. They also introduced this guy called um, Sergi Herrero, who used to work for Facebook. He was sort of in charge of Facebook's mobile payment stuff, okay. basically. Um, they brought them both in as co-CEOs. 
Herrera's now stepped down into a kind of advisory role. So they've only got one, which I think is a good move to have two CEOs. I don't think it's a really good mm. long-term thing. So so the only CEOs now... Oracle's about the only company I'm aware of that persistently that has that, does yeah. that. And, and, and this guy is basically trying to make a go at this establishing Vion as a, not a dumb pipe, but as a kind of digital operator, is the expression he uses, yeah. but in a very, very different way from how they've done Other it Other people past. you have... Uh we're changing from being a CSP to a DSP. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, the, so the, the expressions are terrible. To yeah. I, mean, I mean, my main questions for him were that it didn't go very well in the past. You know, what what makes it different now, I guess? And, you know, telcos have never done, you know, regardless of centralisation or decentralisation, telcos have never really succeeded in this area. So how, you know, why do you think you're going to, why do you think you're going to succeed? And, and well, one of the one of the arguments that he makes, and he brings this from Turkcell, is that um, at Turkcell, he he makes a big deal about cultural sensitivities, you know, and the fact that the US tech giants they might be very big in the UK, they might be very big in France, they might be very big in Spain, but in a lot of the markets that Vion's in, they're nowhere at all. They're right. just not really People relevant. Aren't digging People aren't digging. So got. so Vion has a, for instance, it has a TV app called Toffee that they supply in Bangladesh, another one of their markets, and it's the most popular. TV streaming service you know there's a bigger opportunity for he always right. made the case that there was a bigger opportunity for Turkcell to do some of this stuff than there was for say a BT I think that's a really good Vodafone. point because we forget I mean England UK is probably in the top three net recipients of American culture yeah in the whole world so we, we're kind of used to it we were watching fucking Jigsaw Hazard and A-Team and stuff when we were kids um but in loads of other places in the world, probably, possibly even France, because obviously English isn't isn't a language that it, they're just not going to be so beset by American yeah. exported culture. And so, yeah, so we I can see the A team and Dukes of Hazards. right with, with just like French dubbing over it. Yeah, <laughs> what's French for? I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But the A-team was called L'Agence Tourisque, which is the all-risk agency. Ah, excellent. <laughs> cool. I like it when it's not just called L'Equipe A. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And one, one character was called Looping, cool. the crazy explosive expert but guy. Even, so even if, but my, my point is culturally, even if you did import it, yeah. it, it, was, it was Frenchified. Yeah. Whereas, whereas with us, yeah. we didn't have to. It's just yeah, yeah. straight up. American yeah. accents. So th- does that mean like in shows like this, because in France, they would have to like change the references. Like they make a joke about maybe a politician or something that right. you knew the French people didn't know. So they would replace it with something else. So what about here? They didn't be, what, have you ever seen, have you ever checked out the news? I'm sure you have. This is kind of a rhetorical question. When the American elections are on in the UK, mm. we make more of a deal, a big deal about their elections than we do our own fucking elections. <laughs> it's ridiculous how much we hang on to yeah, their yeah. coattails culturally. And that's not to diss them. Every week I find myself apologising that I'm not dissing Americans. Not dissing, but I sort of think, all right, you know, yeah, it's the most powerful country in the world. Yes, great cultural exporter. Yes, lots to admire about it. But fucking hell, can we just yeah, we're, we're someone else to- Totally Americanised culture. And, and, yeah. and I think the language is a big issue as well. A lot of these countries, you know, don't have, you know, Netflix and, and Amazon, let's be honest, and, and the internet giants have done very well in kind of Anglophile-type mm. countries where English is spoken widely or even as a first Certainly language. Anglophone, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, he, I think it was interesting, but he wasn't saying that they were, you know, that they were trying to always compete against Netflix, by the way, or Amazon Prime. You know, he very much saw them as partners in a lot of cases, but he just said there's a big rule, a, big, a lot of room for alternatives. And there are also opportunities in these countries that you don't have in other markets. So... 
and some of this has come with the pandemic, but things like online education, you know, online healthcare, you know, some of this, you know, financial services opportunities are very big in emerging markets. And I think, you know, Vion's quite heavily into this in the same way that a company like Safaricom would be in Africa. They have quite a big role in that area. Yeah. So th- these are all really valid points. Um, I mean, the, the issue of decentralization, you know, I asked him this, why, why does decentralization make sense? And again, it's very much about one one size fits all just doesn't make sense when you have markets that are as yeah, as different sense. as ours. You know, totally. Russia is has so little in common with somewhere like um, Bangladesh culturally. Hundred percent. So it just didn't it didn't make any sense at all for an operator with operations in those countries to try and do everything everything from Amsterdam. Now the the, the danger, as you were saying, you get these economies of scale, which is another question for him. How do you how do you ensure that you that you can do this and not have some kind of impact on profits. And I mean, I think that remains to be seen. He was saying they've, you know, they've tried to mitigate that somehow by having, you know, they have they have these sort of online forums so they can share knowledge and expertise, which they didn't used to have this before. In, this is internal, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like an internal thing right. where they'd have, you know, so they, they don't have a group we CTO anymore. Back in but the they have, yeah, but they have, they have, for instance, a group where the CTOs of the different operating companies can now liaise and exchange expertise. But they, I mean, they are going into some areas that we've seen other operators moving into, like um, Towers Divestment, for instance, you know. Oh, everyone loves that. As a, as a way of kind of raising capital, perhaps. I mean, maybe that's partly a mitigation strategy. But I, I, my, my concern would be... My takeaway would be... It's From your interview de- with the lad. He's very compelling and he's very convincing. And I think he's, you know, if anybody's going to make this work trying to do it that way, then he's a, he's definitely, I think, the person to have given his experience at Turkcell. My only concern would be, you know, even with all the things he says about cultural sensitivities, the big, I just think the big US tech companies have such heft these days. You know, they have such a big, yeah. you, you're talking about trying to get into areas where things like AI are important and machine learning and software expertise. And I just wonder, and he was talking about how they've hired software engineers now that they didn't used to have and they've built up staff in places like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, you know, and there's a, there's a bigger kind of number of software people in Russia even as well. But you still, I just still wonder whether you're always going to be subscale compared to, yeah. you know, and compared think, to the US tech company you know, in a way to, that's maybe damaging to the strategy. That's my, that would be my only concern. Pick your fights, Yeah, is what I'd say. So I, I'm going to move on just because we're yeah. running out of time. But um, even American operators keep throwing in the towel there's a story way wrote earlier on this week about verizon also handing over its messaging service oh, the, the to google, yeah. to google with at&t and t-mobile already having done that so that's all of them yeah. and then there was another one that mary wrote yesterday about at&t kind of throwing in the towel for the content side in latin america yeah uh, this is actually part of direct tv which is an at&t acquisition but they had this this thing called um Oh, where's it gone? Anyway, it's oh, got, yeah, they're quite, it they're, had a name. They're incredibly defensive at the moment, Vrio. I noticed, at and Well, in I, terms of well, like, my, my, Q&A Mike stuff. Dano did a, a story on their earnings, I think, which were out this week, and apparently on the earnings call, they were desperate to sort of make this whole... I mean, maybe it was some of our criticism, actually, that's prompted this, but the Why whole not? public cloud um, okay. uh, deal that they've done great with... Uh, this who's theirs one with? Microsoft. If this podcast starts changing. Well... But I know they were very upset I'll about. I sell my tenor in I know they were very upset about some of the coverage that came out of like reading on the Microsoft deal, and apparently right. a lot of the chat on the caller was about them okay. them making out that deal isn't we're just giving up, you know, and letting right. Microsoft do well, everything. I hope it was and, you. good for you. Well, not just me. I just think the general no, you chat collectively on the pod. like yeah. reading. But yes, 
You, you uh, never know. I mean, you know, we've chatted about it before. There aren't that many people. I think one of the reasons we get compliments on the podcast isn't just because of whatever it is that you and I bring to it. But we are people who have an above average knowledge on this particular bit of subject matter, bothering to talk about it in words of one syllable yeah. while getting quietly pissed in the process. Um, and so, uh, Pissed is a big word. I don't think we're pissed. Are we? Well, we're getting there. <laughs> we're, on our, we're on our way. <laughs> you know, it takes a while. <laughs> if you're just on Camden Pale. If we're doing tequila shots, it might be a different matter. Next week, um, oh, we won't be here. No, exactly. I'll just be doing them in Suffolk. Um, but uh, but yes, you know, it could be anything. It could be any sort of niche area. Um, the reason I got onto that tangent is, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke up our ass, but, you know, what influence might we have? Presumably, you know, we'll talk about this little thing. Other people, we get, we get analysts like Dean Bubbly being kind enough to flag up our stuff on Twitter. It just sort of percolates through and goes into the mix. Yeah. And all the other people, the analysts... The other journalists, the equity analysts, the other commentators, the people who work for the FT, Wall Street Journal, they all go into the mix. And someone like, you know, the CEO of AT&T or, or, the, or the person whose job it is to keep an eye on what everyone's saying, it will eventually percolate its way up to them. And, and, and we are contributors to that. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's part of the fun of being a journalist is from your tiny little, you know, spare room where you work you can have some small influence. It's impossible to gauge how much, but it makes you feel not completely irrelevant, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, AT&T's flogging this thing Vrio, um, and it's taking... It's quite a lot of money, isn't it? They're selling it Well, it's taking an impairment charge oh. of $4.6 billion oh, okay, on the value right. of the asset at 30th of June. So basically, it's flogging it for not that much. Oh. I think, oh, here we are. Wall Street Journal quoted a company spokesperson as saying the deal implied an enterprise value of 500 million paid over a few years. So they're basically writing down 90% of the value of this yeah. fucking thing. I mean, you know, that's such a, you know, I'm sure there's lots of reasons and I'm sure uh, it probably is as a good move from where they are now. But it's just to me yet another example of but that, but Back to your thing. But, th but this is the thing about the. This is the question mark over what the stuff that Vion's doing there, isn't it? Because South America, content business, South America, Spanish speaking, mm. you know, local sensitivities, local culture stuff, and even then, they didn't make, manage to make a success of a content business. Yeah, and you kind of wonder whether how much this stuff really matters. It's not as though Google and Amazon, let's be honest, it's not as though Google and Amazon and Microsoft and Netflix and all these other big US tech companies don't have resources that they can deploy in these markets. Mm. And they do. I mean, God, there's. Netflix now is full of French language content and like Lupin and yeah, all sorts of oh, things. Yeah, is really into something. Yeah. I would say there's probably two or three. I wouldn't say it's full of it. But it's getting so there though. Overrun. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> okay, we'd we better move on. But I mean, that's just another anecdotal contribution to the whole people try not to be a dumb pipe and they're not working and maybe they're just going to stick with being a dumb pipe. I mean, what Mary keeps doing when she writes about at and things uh, she goes, AT&T decides to focus on being a telco, which is yeah. her sort of flippant way of going. Dumb pipe, yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I, I, my take, my, I suppose my takeaway from, from the Vion thing maybe is that I don't think many companies are going to be able to succeed doing, you know, being digital operators, to be honest yeah. with you. If, if, if by digital operator you mean trying to compete alongside the US tech giants, I think most of them are going to end up as dumb pipes and utilities, unfortunately. That's the, that's the inevitable way it's going. Yes, I, I think you're right. 
Pierre, are we really like having to knock it on the head in eight minutes? It can go over a bit. Tiny well, bit. we're only talking okay. about non-telecom stuff now. I know, but uh, eight minutes is still very little time for the last segment. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's our fault. It's my fault for not managing the time. I just thought I'd check in with Pierre. Anyway, so let's move on to that. So bugbears. Yeah. I'll start with mine. Yeah. Um, I wrote two stories in the last 24 hours to do with censorship. Um, I will start with the first one I wrote which was the the sort of lead in the newsletter today. I've got a link to it. There it is. Um, which is that in the UK, uh, my headline was, UK government ties itself in knots over social media censorship. Basically, they've got this thing called a draft online safety bill. Um, and what they want... Yeah, we haven't got much time to, to get into the weeds, but that's probably just as well. Um what they want is to increase online safety. So it's just an inc- incredibly vague term. Um, and the long and short of it is, whenever you talk about safety, you're normally talking about taking freedoms away. I think there's a there's a there's a there's an equilibrium. There's a there's a continuum where you've got safety at one end, freedom at the other, and we're just moving the dial somewhere in the middle. Obviously, complete freedom would be an anarchy, which wouldn't be safe. And we'd have to be dealing with stuff like they have to deal with in South Africa or whatever at the moment. Yeah. Um, but complete safety means some kind of Orwellian, absolutely centrally controlled environment. And so it's about finding that that happy medium in between. And I, as I'm sure anyone who's been listening to this for a while, anyone knows me, I'm more inclined towards the freedom side. I'm, I'm prepared to take some risks in order to be able to do what I want. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Other people are different. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I just get the impression that governments in the UK and the US, when it comes to censoring what people say online, are moving further and further away from freedom. And so we actually had this sort of committee chaired by a lord, um, Lord Gilbert. Um, Good name. Yeah, and, and they, had, they had a pop at this online safety bill. Um but it was fairly vague stuff. But as I said, there's there's one critique concerning a thing called Clause 11, which seeks to form, form in, force internet platforms to stamp out online speech that, while not illegal, is still harmful. So it's trying to it's trying to sort of fuck around with the law a little bit. Yeah. So we've got illegal speech, as we've said loads of times. I can't write on Twitter. Let's all go around Ian's house and kill him, um, especially if I identify which Ian. Um, <laughs> well, every Ian, Anyone, Ian's everyone houses. called Ian in the whole yeah. world. Yeah. Um, so, but that's already you know, that's already illegal. Yeah. Which is why I hasten to add, I wasn't actually calling for that. Um, uh, well, you put it out there now. I'm, well, I'm I'm really put it in out there. I know. Now. I could probably get nicked. Well, there's there, God. There's a woman in Scotland about to do six months of jail time for some for some picture of a suffragette ribbon that she posted on Twitter two years ago. Because they think it's transphobic or some shit like that. Suffragette ribbon, transphobic. Yeah. What well, the hell? just don't get me started. Um, okay. uh, and and so they say uh, we do not support the government's proposed du- um, duties on platforms in clause eleven of the draft online safety bill related to content which is legal, which may be harmful to adults. We're not convinced that they are workable or could be implemented without. And, and, and they sort of go on and they're basically going, look, it's either illegal or it's not. Where I disagree with them is they go, if you think it should be stamped down, I'll make it illegal. And I don't like that because they're basically going, I mean, it's really tricky because I've always said social media censorship should be constrained to what's illegal. So I can't, I can't, you know, call for a pile on on you, 
but I can say something quite objectionable, possibly even xenophobic or racist or sexist or, or whatever, which is unpleasant, and I wouldn't say it, and I don't condone it, but it's not illegal. Yeah. And what they're sort of saying is maybe even that stuff we should have a pop at. And they even, you know, there was this sort of moral panic um, at the start of last week after the football was over. And we lost on penalties. And then a few dickheads on social media had a pop at some of the penalty takers on racial grounds, which is obviously out of order. But everyone went mental. That became the story. I know. And it was just a few people. And most of those people were not even UK-based, and they're probably even bots. But the media all ran with it and turned to a thing. And, of course, we've got you know, this current administration, especially the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, just seems to make all these decisions based on Twitter. Racist bots. Nightmare. That's the well, last thing we need. No, but I think what you do get is, if not bots, then you get accounts that are designed, because because the response to social media is so Pavlovian, yeah. you just know if someone says that something out of order, tons of people are going to jump on it. Yeah, yeah. That you've got people in China, in Russia, in the Middle East, in anywhere that just wants to fuck with the West. You get them just, because it's so easy to create a Twitter account, you just get them stirring it. And, and we always rise to the provocation, which is kind of sad. And even this guy Gilbert, this Lord Gilbert, um, he, he goes, if the government believes that a type of content is sufficiently harmful, it should be criminalised. We would expect this to include, for example, any of the vile racist abuse directed at members of the England football team, which isn't already illegal. Do, do you know what all this, this, this... I mean, we've talked about this before, but all this social media stuff just makes me think... All these people at the moment don't seem to have been aware that for hundreds of years, blokes have been standing around in pubs coming out with all sorts of foul-mouthed yeah, yeah. abuse. It's, it's because it's And it's probably now. been so much worse than it ever has been, you know, th- than it is today. Um, Some of this seems class-driven. Yeah, and you get a tiny percentage of it online and it's like, oh, the whole world's, the whole world's racist. And everyone's pretend- naively ra- pretending that problem. this is a new thing. It's... it's yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> the wall just fell down. Yeah, I mean, oh, even, the doing so well. is, even the wall is shocked. Even the wall's shocked. What's at, going yeah, on? That, that we yeah. dare to that we dare to broach these these tasty subjects. And and the other point I make before I move on to my other story, and I hand it over to you um, for your for your bugbear. Um, is as I point out again, you know, I'll stress one more time: no hassling of our players or anyone. Hassling people at all, let alone players on racial grounds, is completely out of order. Yeah. No one's contesting that. But I still think you should be able to say that was a crap penalty, mate. That Marcus, Rash- Marcus Rashford one was terrible. He didn't even hit the... Uh, I know, the it was nearly brilliant. He tried to be all Brazilian He tried to be clever and, and, then, and, then and then basically then hit the up. post or whatever. But, um, yeah. yeah, so obviously you should be allowed to um, hassle them. But but that's that's part of it. So can you, has- can you hassle them? Yes. Can you be abusive? Mm. No, he but, can't be abusive. He's a great player, but he took a crap penalty. But, you know, have you ever been to a football game and been in the crowd? Yeah. And basically, everyone in the crowd is calling everyone yeah, I know. very bad words all yeah. the time. Yeah. Anyway. But very little that's racist, I've heard, when the matches are. No, been to. well, because. It's, it's because, generally abusive comments. Because the good thing is that culturally, even yeah. even among shouty football fans, overt yeah. racism is, is not acceptable anymore, which yeah. is good, and we should celebrate that. Um, but there's still plenty of abuse. Yeah. Well, just not necessarily of an explicitly yeah. racial no. nature. No. And um, and the point I make is... And a lot of it's the comments like the referee's a wanker. At the very least. In other <laughs> words, I don't want to don't make Pierre get his bleeper out. But some, some of the few words he'll still bleep mm. are said quite a lot at football games. Anyway, mm. and th- just the other point is, so, so now we've got our special laws protecting... Um, 
ethnic minority footballers from people being horrible to be on the internet. Maybe, maybe not a good idea. But then I point out that um, the famous author J.K. Rowling, uh, she sort of picked a team in this sort of um, women versus trans activists uh, stuff that goes on, and she gets that's, sent, yeah, that's disgraceful. She get you know she gets sent things like this this um, tweet I I embedded. I wish you a very nice pipe bomb in mailbox. So it's sort of semi-literate. But, you know, that seems like a more explicit call to violence. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't get brought up in Parliament and, and Lord Gilbert doesn't bang on about that. So it's, so it's all very selective. So that's one of my big issues about, sensitive, about um, censorship is the selectiveness about it. And then the yeah. second story I wrote just before I came out today, I've spoken about Section 230, which is a part of a, a US law that basically gives special privileges to social media companies in that they cannot be held to be legally liable for the content that's on them, which makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, social media doesn't work yeah, because it has to be instantaneous. I have to be able to put up something on Facebook yeah, it's not and it doesn't itself. have to wait a day to go through yeah. moderation. Um, and anyway, moderating at that kind of scale would be impractical. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, they're increasingly acting in an editorial capacity and they are censoring stuff or they are putting labels over stuff they don't like a look of. And so then you get into this grey area. Are they... A publication like like reading or telecoms.com or are they a social media platform anyway and section 230 kind of dictates that in the states and now these two senators these two democrat sen- senators um they've got to be in their bonnet about health misinformation so obviously throughout the whole coronavirus thing you've had some people going like i've, I've downplayed coronavirus in fact that in, in some ways that i now think i downplayed it excessively at the start i still don't think it's necessarily justified to shut down the entire world for a year, but it is obviously a big deal. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then you got this talk about vaccines. Like I've been, I think everyone's been double vaccinated in this room, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have, but I don't think I want my kids to be who are 17 and 14. The main reason is because the risk reward profile when you get to their age isn't so favourable. At my age, let alone my dad's age, just have it. Yeah. Because the, if you get the bug, it'll kill you. Yeah. So maybe there's a small chance of a, of a blood clot or myocarditis or something like that. But that's a risk worth taking. But when you're younger, then you get into a discussion of whether or not that's a risk worth yeah. taking. Anyway, and, but they seem to want sort of pretty much any... But then it's well, about, have, you, have you noticed that, that yeah. pro-vaxxers have become as bad as anti-vaxxers now? Well, everyone gets a bit of a beer in their bonnet. What were you going to say, Pierre? No, I think the general consensus is it's not about your kids getting sick it's about your kids getting sick being totally fine with it and, and giving it other people. Yeah. yeah but then but then if other people have been vaccinated either the vaccines yeah. work or they don't anyway, yeah. this, this is a whole minefield that we don't have enough time so to now get we're into. protecting the anti-vaxxers technically well no I, I don't like people who are fanatical about anything yeah. actually I've noticed some comments on Twitter recently where people have you know, I mean, I think we talked about this before, but people who are very religious or people who are very anti-religious, like the Richard Dawkins crowd, they can in become many ways quite, just as bad. quite, quite fanatical. Yeah, yeah. And there, there are people now who are actually fanatical about vaccines. I mean, I think you should have it. Like, you, I pretty much agree with your view. You know, I'm not really sure that my 11-year-old should be having it, but you know, if people are adults. Yeah, it's it makes sense. And, but it's and also I, their choice. I could choose. But not it's to have also it. their choice. And I don't like people who sort of. I mean, there's a lot of commentary on Twitter that's almost making anybody decides not to have it out to be a. Uh, uh, a Nazi, you know, kind of thing, and, well, and it's just—it's just ridiculous. That's you, you can't law. be, you, 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 people who are pro-vaxxer to that, 
to that degree, as bad yeah. as anti-vaxxers, actually. There is fanatical well, uh, other, and, and, other and ridiculous... With, with people being unconditionally pro-vaccine is they don't seem to be making any concessions to the fact that these vaccines were, A, developed very quickly, and B, in the case of the American ones, using a very novel technology. Yeah. So well, you're entitled to be a bit like, well, hold on a sec. Well, uh, who knows? Let's, we might all find out in three years' time that we've picked up some strange mm. illness that will turn us into zombies. A bit like that sort of, uh, what's that programme? What's that film? I Am Legend, with, yeah. with, uh, where they develop a cure for cancer, don't they? And everybody, everybody gets vaccinated. And, they t- yeah. and then it turns Is into a yeah. thing. And it, turns ah. in, and it ends up turning them all into vampires eventually. Right. So. I reckon in three years' time, Bill Gates <laughs> is going to be remote controlling us with a little Do we know how it starts control. in The Walking Dead? Because I don't think no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no origin but there's, story in the Walking there's Dead. A pre, there's another Walking Dead thing that yeah. I've heard about, and there's and there's another I one where it's international. I think. Mm. Anyway, Fear of the Walking Dead. Fear of the Walking Dead. Mm. There we go. Mm. Um, I'm so, much of a backstory though. So the, the thing about this health. So these two Democrat senators, Amy Klobuchar and uh, someone Latin sounding like Luhan, something like that, um, have come up with this thing called the Health Misinformation Act. And basically, the operative term, especially in the States, for anyone who wants to censor, is they talk about misinformation. So you've got misinformation, disinformation. Disinformation is, my broad understanding of it, is deliberate. You know, I'm deliberately in bad faith lying to you to try and deceive you. Misinformation is me just not knowing what I'm talking about. You could argue a lot of my articles are misinformation (laughs) on that basis. Um, But I've yet to be sued over them. Seven years and counting. Um, And so this is called the Health Misinformation Act. So it's the more benign, milder form of getting things wrong. Um, And what they want to do is they want to create an exception to Section 230, which specifically applies to health misinformation, where if if a social media platform, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, um, disseminates health misinformation, they can be held liable to it held liable for it now there's so many things wrong with this one guy like i quoted an american journalist who who's a good journalist but is quite tribally sort of as a lot of journalists are on the sort of broadly left democrat side yeah he goes he goes so when trump wins in 2024 oh yeah and and it gives all the power to this hhs secretary which stands for health and something secretary um health and human services so basically all the power will be in the, in the hands of this one politician who's the head, who's the equivalent of like what Matt Hancock was before he couldn't put his Hancock away. Um, <laughs> but so, <don't>... there we go. <laughs> um, so, so now it'd be Sajid Javid, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I trust you'll be a good boy, Sajid. Um, and so it'll be in the power of Sajid Javid to just be able to go, that's misinformation, that's not information. misinformation, that's censored, that isn't. That's too much power to have in one person. That's kind of what this guy Masnick says. He goes, so when Trump wins in 2024 and his HHS secretary declares that promoting vaccines is misinformation, what happens then? So what he's really saying, other than I think rather crudely mischaracterising Trump as, as just being the diametric opposite, yeah. um, you know, once this power, once this genie's out the bottle, once the power's there, then when the other team gets in they've got the power as well this is why you constrain power even if it's your team in in, in charge at the time and yeah and another thing i point out in it is um biden who we know has just not got all his fucking marbles you know let's be kind i'm sure he's a great bloke but he's not firing all cylinders is he and uh, he's come out he's come out with a thing where where he goes um he goes you're not going to get covid if you have these vaccinations full stop 
more of the wall falling off. What's going on? It's whenever you say something outrageous like that, right. Scott. It just gets shocked. The wall gets shocked. How shocked. can you possibly suggest that you, 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 you know, might so, get COVID after you've been vaccinated? So Biden's gone, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Now, we know that there are people who've been vaccinated. I think Javid's one of them, funnily enough. He got it, yeah. Yeah. So that's misinformation. But presumably they're not saying that he should be banned or censored, all that sort of thing. So anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll finish the rant there. My point is broadly about censorship, and these are two current examples about it, is it, it's impossible to define. It gives too much power to one person to define these things. Um, and, and yet politicians in the UK and the US, and I suspect elsewhere, are still trying to take control of the internet, put the, to use the metaphor again, put the genie back in the bottle and try and control public discourse. And I just don't think it's possible. Did you, uh, I, I think we might have touched on it a little bit, your bugbear, which was um, to do with like the NHS app and everyone getting pinged. Did you have any last stuff you wanted to say before we Pingdemic. wrap up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't write a story on it, but no, I, I can make it. That's why we're calling it I can sort of make it relevant <laughs> to telecom, I suppose, in a way. Um, Certainly with the app. Yeah, yeah. Not just the app, though. I think this whole yeah, the, it's, they're calling it the pingdemic, and I think it's look. We were told on the nineteenth of July we were going to be back to normal. Um, and, you know, able to move around, do the things we used to do. And yet we have this ridiculous situation where people are, you know, because this, because infections are still spreading, even though hospitalizations and deaths are relatively low, they're more like sort of at flu, seasonal flu levels. Mm-hmm. We're now in this ridiculous situation where hundreds of thousands of people are being told they have to stay at home and, and self-isolate because they've been near someone who might, you know, might have been exposed to covid um, actually, my own dad got texted, I think, on or pinged on when he was on his holiday in Wales, telling him to self-isolate for for six days or whatever it was. And it's it's just it's it's got to the and what point. What did your dad where, do? Well, he actually totally ignored it, so and then fuck uh, you. Uh, which I can say on this because nobody knows who he is. So, no. Mr. Um, Morris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's not exactly a rare name that no. so uh <laughs> like if it was my dad you could track him down in no it's time. got to the point where supermarket we've even got now food shortages apparently because people who work in warehouses can't and supermarkets are, can't come into stack shelves and and stock up i mean it, it's just absolutely bonkers the reason I'm, i would say it's relevant to telecom is i wonder i noticed today in the news they'd exempted food workers they've done the sensible mm. thing and exempted food workers from having to but even that is even that is just but policy on the fly that's policy on the fly. but what about tele i mean telecom is to me another sector where people need to be able to go out and install stuff and fix problems i mean especially now more than ever in the pandemic when we're all bloody well working at home and you know, internet connections are super important, and if they, you know, if they're not dealt, if problems aren't dealt with, then there's an economic cost. People who work, who are telecom engineers and technicians, should, to me, be similar. I don't know if they are, yeah. but they should be similar. No, I, don't think they are. I, I mean, I personally think the whole thing's absolutely bonkers now. Yeah, that, that it should. That there's a rule to to end this. I think on August the 16th, isn't there? It should be. It should be ended but even that's now. Not the whole be thing's totally ended. There's going to be other little caveats. Probably they're, they're talking about vaccine passports in nightclubs. There's always. There seems to be a long tail to this. this I the, suppose, yeah, I mean, this is my worry: is that this is going to drag on for months and months and months. I mean, we will still be stuck with this crap in twenty twenty two, no doubt. Stuff going on mm. to do, with, and you'll still be wondering wherever you can go and check out your in laws in Slovakia, and I'll be still well, wondering where I can go yeah. to Canaries. I hope not, but and all that kind of thing. All right, I think I think I think we've tested Pierre's patience regarding the other stuff he's got to do. Coming up, for um, coming up, to, yeah, <laughs> coming up to a quarter of an hour past. We said we were going to end. Um, so yeah. We'll wrap that up there. Yeah. Um, it's been fun. It's nice that we're that 
that we're getting people all around the world saying they like the podcast. Bear with us. We're all going to go off and not get a tan in Suffolk or whatever. Um, and it could be the first one that you see from us again is done remotely with Pierre producing it from from Normandy or wherever you're going to be. So, cool. All right, I'll wrap it up there. Thanks a lot for listening and make sure you join us in a month or something. Yeah.